welcome to another edition of our Coaching You Basketball Podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. Let's listen to a quick message from our sponsor, Dr. Dish. We'll be right back. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. This is the coach, Brendan Sir, with another one of our Coaching You podcasts. And uh, my guest today is someone that's been a friend of mine for I'm not going to say how long, but a long <laughs> time. Uh, and and uh, I was telling uh, John Lucas the other day uh, that his I have a great photo in my office of my baby son in his arms in the Omni when he's playing for the Houston Rockets and I'm coaching the Hawks as an assistant to UB Brown and there is my little baby boy in my in John's arms and I said that baby boy and he knows the picture and he knows my son obviously and he's going to be 34 years old this weekend so I don't know where the time went John Lucas but uh, <laughs> it is one of the neat things that's happened to both of us lately in the last several years is that we've now get to do one of the really great basketball programs in the country together uh the MBPA, the National Basketball Players Association, top 100 at camp at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville every June. And uh, my friend, uh, that is, that's it, it, not even work for either one of us because getting a chance to, well, maybe I'm speaking for myself, maybe it's a lot of work for you to get those kids there. I know that. But the, the, the working with kids of this caliber and working with the guys that I get to, coach which are all nba players uh it's hard to believe that you know we call it work isn't it well you know first of all brendan you know you do such a great job with the coaches program and our former players are players who wanting to get and learn about coaching is really a part it's a multifaceted camp that is different than any other camps in the country and it's different than any other shoe camp because we are the top 100 irregardless of shoes irregardless of what circuit you're on you now get to play against the best players in the country it's the top 20 players at each position that the committee and I feel are the best 20 players at those positions who we can get to come we sometimes miss out on those players because they go to the USA trials are, you know, the only bad thing about our camp is it interferes sometimes with USA basketball. Yeah. Or USA basketball interferes with us. 
But we try to have best obligation for kids to play, irregardless of shoes. What else is good about the camp, Brendan? And you know, you can't dodge players now because, you know, with certain circuits, you only get to play against the Nike kids or the Adidas kids or the Under Armour kids. Well, we, we look for the top 20, irregardless of shoes, to bring them together and treat it as if it was an NBA playoff environment. And that's huge. Well, it really is because they get, not only do they get classroom work on the lights and rigors of the NBA and what is out there that can harm them and help them how to eat with nutrition. The parents are educated on what to look for and what not to. The players are well coached by our coaching program. We have TV games that are done by our players in the association who are looking to get into TV. So it's a massive opportunity and a great opportunity for these young kids to be coached by and helped out by some of the top high school coaches, some of the top NBA personnel and players, and some former players and current players that are working with them on a daily basis for almost eight hours a day. You know, one of the things that uh, I think a lot, you know, I think a lot of young people in general, it doesn't matter if they're players or just kids, they don't really know history as we both know. And one of the thing that's really amazing is that these kids that really think they're the, they're the stuff right there, they don't know a lot of times who you are. And I say that with great humbleness as you are a humble guy. <laughs> that They don't realize that the guy that put this whole thing together that's leading the whole deal was the number one pick in the whole freaking draft when he came out of college. And they think they're the deal. And then all of a sudden you say, no, no, no. I was the first pick. Not that you do that. And uh, you played 13 years. And you played on one of the very best college teams ever I ever saw play at the collegiate. You know what's funny about what you say, Brandon? I tell young kids, as you do, that this window in basketball each year they have something called a draft. There's either somebody coming behind you or somebody's going in front of you. But it's never the same each year. So you better be improving your skills and working on your development. And I always argue, and I know this is coaching you and your podcast, but there's a big difference between team development and player development. And sometimes people get confused of the two because you may have to do what's best to play for your team and the team to win, but then it's on you to go get what's best for you as a player to be able to move on to the next window. So I'm always trying to get players, as you do, to make sure the front of the jersey wins as much as the back of the jersey wins. (laughs) Hey, talk talk about, you know, when you're coming out of uh, Hillside High School in uh, Durham uh, and you're, why, just out of curiosity, I don't think I've ever asked you this, why didn't you go to Duke or Carolina? You were a terrific student. Your folks, I believe, were educators. Why, why did you go there instead of going with the left-hander, the great left-hander Brazil, <laughs> and George Rabbit? Well, you know, right? it, it's <laughs> an interesting question because that was the first year freshmen could get to play varsity basketball. Oh. And then the other thing was I was an All-American in two sports. 
in basketball and tennis. Right. And at UCLA, they told me I could only play one sport. And, and that was coach. Car- that was that wasn't Coach Wooden, was it? Yes, it was. Oh, that and was that was dumb, Carolina, Coach. That was dumb. That uh, wasn't good pyramid of success. Dean, Dean, no. Dean, Dean Smith and those expressed that they didn't think I could ever beat out George Hall, <laughs> and George would have been a senior that year, and left the Drizelle at that time because UCLA was winning all of those NC2As in a row. He was trying to build something called. Yeah. The Maryland, the UCLA of the East. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> and so he told me, he said, son, if you're good enough, you'll play. And that's all I wanted was the chance. But as you know, <laughs> this game has evolved that guys are going to the pros from high school. And before, it was unheard of that they thought a freshman could play because in those years, David Thompson, who was a great player, played freshman ball. And Lou Alcindor, his first year, they were better than the varsity, and he had to play first ball. And so the varsity won. And the varsity won the NCAA yeah. championship at UCLA that year, and they beat yes. it by thirty in the freshman varsity game. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you see, and so you know, as the game has evolved, it really gave freshmen an opportunity. And then two years later, I don't know if you remember a guy named Phil Ford. Yeah, he came sure. out and started for Coach Smith. When he was a freshman. So he just continued to catch more momentum and more steam to play. So it's gotten better and better all the way through. Wow. So when you came, you came into the NBA, when you came in and you're the first pick, uh, and were you first pick of, did you come in as the first pick of uh, Golden State? Or what was your, the first, well, it's I'm funny. trying to remember now. And I'll tell you my story. Tom Nasalki. Yeah. Was the scout for the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay. I was all set to go the fifth pick in the draft to the Milwaukee Bucks. And the day before the draft, Tom Nasalki becomes the head coach of the Houston Rockets. (laughs) And the Houston Rockets traded with Atlanta Hawks to get the first pick in the draft. Oh, my gosh. So I become the first pick, and I'm going. I come to a team that has Rudy Tomjanovich, wow, Calvin Murphy, John Johnson, Kevin Coonard, Tom Owens, and they really and they had lost fifty games. Whoa. And I came, and my coach back then was real old school, like you. He had me shoot ten shots against Calvin Murphy. Murph makes about nine. I make about four. He says, shoot 10 with Rudy Tom Jonathan. Rudy banked in 10 shots. <laughs> I made about five. He says, shoot with John Johnson. And back then, the three-point line was another foot further back. He made about seven threes. I made about three. He says, you getting to know your role on this team? <laughs> your job is going to be able to get them the ball. So my college roommate, for one day, was a guy named Moses Malone. Oh, my gosh. And so Moses had me drive him. And one day I said, Mo, let's get ready to go to class. Well, Tom DeSulke, three years earlier, was the coach of the Utah Stars. Right. He took Moses Malone right out of high school, right out of out the first day school. Moses goes to the Utah Stars. 
And Coach Nosarki said, one day, the two of you all are going to play together. And by Christmas, Moses was with us in Houston. How about that? And we won the Central, you heard what I said now, the Central Division that year, and we lost to the Philadelphia 76ers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Jeez. And that was in 76, and I, I bet you don't know who won the title in 76 that year. Oh, gosh, let's see. I'm going to guess either. You won't, Gold, I'm going to say Golden them. State or Washington no, Bullets. No, no. You won't beat them in the finals a couple of years later. The Portland Trailblazers. Wow. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, they and, beat the Sixers? Remember no. Maurice Lucas yeah. and Darrell Dawkins got into that big fight. Man, that's good stuff. This is good stuff. This is going to be the first 12-hour podcast I've ever had. This is good. Oh, man. This is uh, – John, I'm telling you. When uh, Now, at what point did you start to play pro tennis? That same year, I was the number one pick in the world team tennis draft. And I went to the Golden State Gators. And <laughs> – we played all our games in the Oakland Coliseum. Oh, my gosh. And I played that, that tour. Then the next year, Brenda, my doubles partner, you know, and back then there weren't a lot of blacks playing tennis. So I was supposed to be the next Arthur Ashe, but I was the number one pick in the draft. That was guaranteed money versus go out and earn money. Yeah. I had to win to be better. So the next year, my doubles partner, was a lady named Renee Richards. Oh, my God. Oh, here you, I'm glad you said a lady. <laughs> well, she was the first transsexual. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, then I, and they used to call us the odd couple. <laughs> this might have the and, highest ratings we've and, ever had. This is then, the best. And then we played the U.S. Open, and back then they wouldn't allow Renee to play Wimbledon or any of the other majors, but she didn't get in the U.S. Open. Oh, and she was 42 at the time of her sex change. Was she pretty good? Very good. You know, very good left. He couldn't move anymore at 42, but really, and I did all the running. She used to tell me, go, go, go. She's unbelievable. Well, now, really where was that. Billie Jean King in this whole thing? I remember. Billie Jean at that time yeah. was married to a man by the name of Bill King, and they owned. The Golden Gate. That's what I thought. I thought you. That's why I thought you were involved with them. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, I knew and that. That's where that was. And so that year, I got to meet a guy by the name of Al Adams. Oh gosh. And in 1976, they beat the Washington Bullets yep. for their championship. And that's where that was at that time. And then the next year, Moses, we won our conference. Got to the finals of the Eastern Conference. And next year, Moses broke his foot. Calvin broke his foot. And we had a, one of our worst years. And so we signed a guy who played for the Warriors named Rick Barry. Oh, wow. And Rick came to the Rockets. And Rick came so we could play together. So at that time, show you how our league has evolved, the commissioner launched O'Brien yeah. would determine what was fair compensation. 
<laughs> so the Warriors wanted either Moses or myself. So I packed my bags. No way. Yes, and I left because I know we weren't going to give up Moses. So they named that I had to go in the process, and then I went oh, out to Golden State. That's how you ended up there. Okay. Yeah. And that's how that ended up there. Wow, John, when uh, when you uh, you know when you came into the league and and you got going, I mean, the league people don't realize the league was really good because just look at the people you had on one team alone. Uh, I tell people all the time, our friend and boss Purvis Short, if Purvis was in his prime and a free agent, they're talking about uh, J.J. Reddick getting 15, 17, 20 million dollars. I was saying, Purvis Short's getting way more than that. Because that, <laughs> that guy could flat out shoot, couldn't he? That rainbow but, jumper but is. You know, you know, you know, I'm with the Rockets, and I always tell the guys, they always talk about, man, you old guys couldn't have played when we played. We're too athletic now. You all can only go one way. And I tell them, and they get mad. I tell them, all right, well, let's start with this. Let's take five NBA teams away. Mm-hmm. Let's take all of Europe away. And let's go to 12-man rosters on these 22 teams that you have, <laughs> or 25 teams. Right. And let's say the good players for money and salary go over and stay over and they don't go overseas. They stay here and play. So now your best bench players, because of the salary cap restrictions, are back in the league. And it's 12 players. And now your bench would have not a rookie on it as your 12th man, but probably a four-year, five-year veteran Mm -hmm. who could really play. So I said, now, if you did that to our league now, although it's grown and the international players, you every, and I said, every team had two centers. Yeah. Every team had two really good point guards. Yeah. I tell them all the time. I said, think about this team that the Philadelphia 76ers had. Julius Irving, Bobby Jones, Caldwell Jones, Doug Collins, Henry Bibby, and then you come off the bench with Bobby Jones, Lloyd B. Free, Andrew Tony. And a guy named Daryl Dawkins who never got in the game. <laughs> oh, it, and George McGinnis was on that. I was team. just going to say, you, you, yeah. you, you, how about that? I mean, think about that that group coming in the games. You, and you remember, like when they went and played Portland, you remember they had, uh, you know, Johnny Davis, and. Yeah. Uh, and and then later on, you know, after all that, then they ended up with Lionel Hollins one year, you know. I mean, the, the Dave towards it, Dave towards it. You know, the, the, the talent was amazing on these teams. And one player that we really miss because of injuries took away his beauty of basketball was Bill Walton. No, oh, jeez. 
I mean, he may have been one of the greatest passers ever. And perfect in Jack Ramsey's system. Yes, absolutely. Hey, uh, now, when you went to Golden State, is that where you uh, went into a, a drug into a drug problem situation? Well, it, it really started before there, but escalated once once I went there. Yeah, and uh, I remember. And and then and I tell you why that was. I was so far away from home, and you know what happened to me, Brendan, that I tell young kids all the time. What got me and what destroyed me was was the, once you got there, I go, now what? Yeah. Now what am I going to do? Now I've made it here. How am I going to improve and get better? I got to play against Walt Frazier, all of Earl Monroe, all of my heroes. And I kept saying, now what? What's the next challenge? I forgot about continued improvement. I got bored with the game because I didn't see another level to get to. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't living in San Francisco. It wasn't moving from it. It was that I grew up as an adult athlete, and now I didn't have any social skills to carry me once there wasn't a game. Everything was get the biggest house, get the biggest car, compete, 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 compete. Compete off the court, compete, compete, compete. And I, I set myself up for great failure. And so with that, I, I had a spiritual emptiness inside of me. And drugs and alcohol filled that for almost six years of my career. And it cost me dearly. So when you, when whatever prompted you to go from, you know, basically, you know, losing your career in the league after, you know, really a amazing career uh, to now, you know, did you did you actually get banished from the league technically? No, or, I no, didn't get banished. Your team, yeah, teammates I, that did, Wiggins, I, I, Lloyd, I, I, guys I like had, that, yeah. The Warriors told me to go home and don't come back. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. And then, but, you know, for me at the time, nobody knew what to do with me. I went to, and then I signed with the Washington bullets uh -huh. at the time and then I got into trouble there a year later and that's where our drug rules came into play okay. nobody knew what to do with me Yeah. and at that time all of our games were tape delayed we were on after the news on a lot of channels and that's in comes David Stern he really rejuvenated our league cleaned it up we got a drug program I, I was the guinea pig I was able to stay sober, and we put our policies in place with the street with the three strikes, mm -hmm. and it has evolved with player programs ever since that puts me and you in charge of the basketball program. That's one of their babies. So think about this: you you go from a player that basically your career is cut short because you were so gifted because of drugs. You then uh, figure out how to handle that and then start your own rehabilitation center to help players with a problem and coaches and from all walks of life, from all careers, not just athletes, right? You, you handle, you would deal yeah, with, we work with everybody. business you know, people, nobody, anyone, right? Brendan, you know, it's really, when I got into trouble, I was the first athlete in those sports who publicly came forward. 
Gotcha. Nobody knew what to do with me. <laughs> so, you know, they were trying to figure out what to do with me, and I was continuing to mess up, and everybody was saying, you know, you just should have, you know, willpower. Willpower has nothing to do with it. I had the bodyguard. I did everything possibly power to do it except stop doing the drugs. And so what I found out that I thought that there was really something wrong with me. I wanted to see if I had been abused as a child, if I'd had a lot of other issues come up. What I found out was I was in competition about everything in life. Get the biggest house, get the biggest car. Nothing was ever going to be enough. I was chasing something that I could never attain. So I had to go back, and it's really funny. The first part of getting, and I've been clean 32 years now. I've been sober. And what I found out was if I don't pick up the first drink, I don't get drunk. (laughs) What an amazing concept. (laughs) The second thing I found out was if I just worked and helped others and got out of myself, it would help me. I couldn't believe that. So, that you know, the first thing I learned was I had to accept who I was, that I had this problem. But if I didn't do it, I was okay. Then I had to be, learn to believe in something greater than myself. I had to get some spiritual connection with something greater than me. And then the third thing I had to do was learn to care about others unconditionally. I had to be willing to help people, which brought me to the John Lucas Enterprises. The thing I knew was basketball and tennis. The thing I began to do was to teach it. And the big thing I began to do was start implementing player development in the early 90s. Get your skills set up. Be able to make shots. Be able to do things that will help you. So, and then I developed that as the catch to get players and other athletes to come down and get training in their sports, but to also work on their program off the court. So what I did then, Brendan, as people thought of the connotation with drugs and alcohol, I changed the name of my program to the John Lucas Wellness Program. Because if people came to work out and get better and didn't have an issue, if you came here, people would identify you as having a drug issue. So I had to change the name that we did. So now we deal with anger management. We deal with depression. We deal with marijuana or or heavier drug use. And it's just great to see people get their lives back and not have any conditions on it. John, you're you're basically um you're doing what they call the highest form of coaching in life right now. You know, you are coaching you. I mean, you are and then you know you're you're really committed to helping people uh in, in every walk of life. And you know, I I have a saying that coaching is the highest form of leadership there is, and that's what you're showing. But all of a sudden you go from this how did you why did you think, and then you got several opportunities to think that anyone would ever give you a chance coaching, being a head coach of their NBA team? You know, with, you know, all these things that had happened in your life, 
they didn't bury you they didn't say no no and, and you got to have some really intriguing teams that you got to work with <laughs> well well you know asterisk you know, on the last one i'm going to mention <laughs> asterisk well, you know, on that one well you know it's really funny you say that <laughs> i i got the i bought a team in the usbl and it was called the miami tropics yep and the only way you could play on that team, you had had to have been at risk. Right, I remember. Out of a team. And we won two of those championships, and everybody on that team got their life back and got jobs. And they went back on to play in the NBA or go overseas and make a lot of money, and they got to move on. So the third year that I had the team, I didn't have one player who was at risk. So for me, the mission of that was gone. Yeah. But it was to put people back in our basketball world and have them maintain their sobriety by going to meetings, having a counselor, and building a platform and a curriculum for people who did have it for them to stay sober, which eventually evolved in around the league of counselors in each NBA city for right. our players and a network for them to be able to speak to which was really, really good. And so, you know, when you talk about that, my first coaching opportunity was the Spurs. Yeah. And I took over a team that was lackluster, and I had a lot of confidence in them. So, you know, I empowered them by making David Robinson the president. He would sit when we traveled, when we would do a lot of things. And Sean Elliott was the vice president, Avery Johnson. And I let them, this was their team. So I, I let them have a big part in what we were doing. So we won. I, for the longest, I was one of the quickest coaches to 100 wins. Right. And we got out of the first round. And the second year, we won 59 games, 57 games, and lost to Utah, who eventually lost to Chicago. And now this is where the coaching piece comes in. Then they hired a guy in San Antonio to be the general manager named Greg Popovich. And for since this is coaching you, he told me he wanted to help me become a better coach. And I said, man, you've never called a timeout. And he says, I don't want to coach. And I said, you, I'm going to go do something else. So I left a 59-game team to go coach the Philadelphia 76ers to become the general manager. And I always tell young coaches, don't ever believe your diagrams and plays win games. Because I took my same diagram and plays to Philadelphia and lost 59 games <laughs> the very next year. And I was a better coach than I had been the two previous years. And I learned quick that if you don't have talent, you're not going to win. But see, I didn't get into coaching to win a championship. I would love to now. But I got into coaching to be of service to other people and right. to teach them to become better people through the game of basketball. Right. And that, on the professional ranks, it's about winning games. I remember I suspended a guy named Dennis Rodman, who you had, for being late he, so he many times. He was no problem for Chuck and I. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute. So I suspend them, Brendan, for being late 
a few times to practice at. And my general manager said, well, you know, we're in the pros, and I know you like your rehabilitation work, but your job is to win games. You should find him and move on. And, you know, that's when I found out that coaching for me and for you, it depends upon find, find your level. Mm-hmm. Find your level where you want to coach and be comfortable at the level that you can live with coaching. So many times people want to coach at the level that they are not wanting to be at. give you a quick uh, Dennis Rodman story that you'll you'll enjoy Bob Hill when he took over uh, the Spurs and Pop was the uh, GM right yeah uh, if you remember they made it to the Western Conference Finals against Hakeem and uh, he set Rockets. him out that game and so Dennis every time Bob t- Hill took him out of the game Dennis would come out of the game sit on the baseline take his shoes off you remember yeah and so uh uh, you know, he and I know knowing Dennis, I knew what he was doing, and uh, because this guy never gets tired, you know, you know, you don't need to take him out, yeah. and and so uh, they suspend him for game seven, they lose, and uh, so during the summer, Chicago combine, pre draft camp, whatever, uh, Pop and Bob Hill walk up to Chuck Dale and say, Had you ever coached this guy? Guy's impossible, you know. Chuck looked at him and just Never even batted an eyelash. She said, "I never took him out of the game. I wasn't stupid <laughs> enough to do that." <laughs> you know, we let we let him play because Chuck said he was bionic. You know, he just could play forty eight minutes a game. We never took him out. And so sometimes it's about understanding coaching each player differently and understanding what they can and can't do. And Dennis was a freak. You know, there aren't many yeah. kids that like yep, that he, like that. He was really a one of the smartest players yep. I've ever coached. Exactly right. Really knew the game of basketball, really understood it, and um, really wanted could to win. Defend multiple positions. Yep, wanted to win uh, the whole deal, and and yes, and he, and he, and people don't understand. They think he wasn't smart. He was one of the smartest guys I ever coached by far. Yeah. But that that is that is incredible stuff. But. Uh, I don't know how much we can talk about this one, but when you coached the Cavaliers, you were, you. I guess we really can't talk about this, but you know, you were you were basically set up as the guy that was going to make sure that they got their uh, ping pong balls and they got their lottery pick to get this guy that maybe the greatest player we've seen since Michael or better even in LeBron James, right? Well, you know, LeBron was there in Cleveland, and, you know, I got suspended because, you know, in Philly I had a guy named Kobe Bryant, and I used to let Kobe practice with our team. And these were before the rules changed. So when I got to Cleveland, I was going to do the same thing. And so He's still in high school. You're going to let him play. Yeah, and so I'm going to let him just work out with the teams because I always felt that, you know, if the NBA is the highest level and you had guys who were like top 100 out camp good, that, you know, give them a chance to give them something to look forward right. to and work out. So so when we got there to get LeBron, it's real hard to get a free agent to come to Cleveland, one, the taxes and the area it was in at the time. And so to get LeBron made a lot of sense. And so it was really... A good chat. My only problem with it 
was it cost me $250,000 and he won't give me my money back. <laughs> we'll work and on I that. Talk to, you know, and, you know, one of the things I always tease LeBron about, but, you know, there, that year, Andre Miller was almost a triple-double guy. Yeah. Had a great year. Zergunas Igalkas played well. Right. And we won about 36 games, and it wasn't enough, but we had the chance to get LeBron James. And it was really funny, Brendan, you're like this. So that my second year when we were getting LeBron, when they were going to get him, Darius Miles, Ricky Davis, and Smush Parker, guys who are out of the league now, saying, well, he'll be a good backup. <laughs> and I got the film of that where they were talking that LeBron would be a good backup. And his first pro game, he scores 30 points. <laughs> I said, what a backup. <laughs> oh man that was that was good stuff but hey john what what uh as you go around the country uh, uh, both with your john lucas enterprises and then going around and you and your staff scouting the top 100 prospects that to invite and so competitive there's so many people that want to come to have this honor to to really showcase themselves what do you feel about high school basketball, youth basketball right now? Where are we at in our country as far as talent? Well, talent is very good. My concern right now is there's so many games and less about player development mm -hmm. and skill development. And, you know, one of the things I would like to see implemented in high school as well as junior high school, Brendan, is a shot clock. Yes, it's a big argument, and I think Marlon this year is going to add it, and I would love that we could raise enough funds where people would be willing to put shock talks in because it helps the game, and it'll help the coaches. They don't. They don't understand that. Uh, you know, when you know we do a lot of things overseas, and we see that whether I be in Middle East, in Asia, in anywhere in Europe or South America, Australia. Uh, youth level players are playing with a 24 second clock our game our men in our country cannot do it that is not kids that is coaching they are scared of losing control of the game and really as we both know that's when you really got to coach with a 24 second clock because you got to teach quick decisions right yes and you know and it's so you know and then it'll help them to get in better shape It'll help them make quicker decisions. And as they can learn to play with quicker decisions, it, it'll start out where everything will be pick and roll. But as they get used to it, they'll find out eight seconds is a long time right. to have a play. Well, you know, we've, and, you know, and you know with all the coaches you deal with, Brendan, and all the coaches I talk to at clinics about, nobody scores. Very rarely do you score off your initial sets. It, you score off the breakdowns of your sets. Right. So, you know, everything we do in, in, in our training with John Lucas Enterprise is 10 seconds or less once they cross half court because the game is played based at the end of the shot clock. Now with the new analytics, people are shooting threes early and shooting threes and then under, under, eight seconds people are looking for layups or tough twos but very rarely like with us with the rockets 
We want threes or layups. I know. I, I think it's great, though. I mean, you know, but you better be able to to think and play that game quickly. And uh, the thing that I, I really uh, – the college coaches that I know that are all scared of it, they get to coach the USA under 18 or under 19 teams, guys like Billy Donovan – uh, Shaka Smart got to be his assistant. When they got to do that, all of a sudden they found out playing against these, that 24 seconds was fabulous. It was great. They loved it. And Brad Stevens, you know, Butler was a really well-coached team when he was coaching it. used, you know, 35 seconds up on the shot clock. All yeah. of a sudden he comes to pros. You guys, one of the most innovative guys, plays a very quick style, but plays team basketball. 30, 24 seconds is a long time, you know, long time. So you can really do, you, you just, we have to understand, the coaches have to let go. It's a kid's game. It's not our game. You know, and, and one of the things is if you teach them the right way and to know that this game is a game of geometry, it's moving triangles and being able to play out of moving triangles, You've got a great chance to know how to play. That's why I tell young kids, if you're going to school and you don't get your math, you may not be able to play basketball. That's good. And they go, what are you talking about? Well, I say, you got to know the geometry of the court. You got to know angles. You're not going to know which way you're going to cut them off, or how you're going to cut them off when you're playing to the basket. You've got to know where you are, your angle to the backboard for bank shots. All of it's a science. It's a science that is played in an art form, not an art played in a science form. Oh, that's good. That is good. Tell me about your experience uh, with the Rockets this year. How did you enjoy it? I absolutely loved every minute of it. Great. Really enjoyed it. I think that uh, Mike does a great job with our mm-hmm. offense. And, like, you know, we're wanting, you know, he, you know, you know, one of the things that he did that was interesting this year, Brendan, is, you know, I've been a big guy at the free throw line extended pick and roll. Mike this year liked that pick and roll deeper in the corner. Yeah. Isn't that and, interesting? You, know, you can't blue that when I force that down near as much because if you do, it's a back, it's an easy layup for the big. And well, then the spacing on it may be better. How about that? And then the other thing I liked that we was was no post, open lane. You know, when I used to coach, you know, one of my mentors used to say to me, how can the guy with the ball drive if there's a post behind him? <laughs> Great point. You know, that's a simple point, but that's very true. How can he drive? He can only go at an angle if somebody's right in front of him to drive. John, for the, for the for coaches that are out there, uh, and there be a ton of them listening, uh, talk about, uh, first of all, just James Harden's work ethic. Well, you know, I work every day. We make over 153s. And, and I named the middle of the court 13 Island. <laughs> because that's his island on, on, on his own. Really putting him at the point guard was really innovative for us. Now, is he a true point guard? No. But his cleverness, his decision making, and the way he can see, because that's a 6'5", 
point guard. You, you and I remember this, and like people think you're crazy. We we both saw Magic Johnson yeah. and the angles that Magic Johnson had to find people because he was so much bigger. We're used to smaller guards who can't see those angles. I know my son played the league for nine years, yeah. and the biggest thing he couldn't do was make that throwback pass in pick and roll. Sure. So they would trap him because he couldn't see it. Well, you couldn't do that with a guy like James Harden, 6'5", 240. It's like Cam and Newton strong as a bull. Yeah. yeah. And he can make late decisions. And one of the biggest things was, you know, the game is going to centers that can really roll and protect the rim. Shot blockers and can catch lobs. Right. And so when you have those things, it really makes your team different, especially with the premium and the analytics that have come into our game on the premium of shooting threes. You know, it's like, you know, I always tell coaches, oh, I want those, those twos, those tough twos. Well, okay. If you shoot 30 twos and you make 20, I shoot 33s and I make 20. I'm ahead. If you're shooting 38% or 36% from from tough twos and mid-range shots and I'm shooting 38% from threes, I'm going to beat you. It's fabulous. Yeah, no. Just the right. math of it. Just the math of it. But Just- now the problem is that I always tell coaches, you can't be Mike D'Antoni, Brendan Sir, John Lucas, or John Calipari. You have to find out who you are as a coach and what you're comfortable with and what you can live with. If you can live with 16 turnovers, it's like people say to me all the time when I used to coach, your your team don't play defense. What are you talking about? If the score is 109-108, that doesn't mean we're not playing defense. That's no difference than the score being 89-86. The point differential is the same. Right. I just slowed the game down and what I did, which I was most comfortable for. But can you live with mistakes and still be willing to play at the pace you want to play? So that's what I always tell coach, coaches. Before you can coach, you have to identify who you are as a coach. John, we're going to continue this when we get to the top 100 camp, man. This this is we might have I'm a weekly so edition. This is I'm just fabulous. so excited. No, 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 I'm just so excited. I got to be on coaching you. I see all these other oh, guys oh, coming and talk in Vegas and Orlando and Fort Worth. I'm just excited. I moved up to be on the podcast. Well, we're taking <laughs> step by step, John. You know, and and if we have a good, I'll tell you what. I'll make a deal with you. If we have a great uh, you know, top 100 camp. You can come to Las Vegas and speak. How's that? <laughs> You're the best. Hey. All, when I when I work with you, you teach me so much. That we, we can't help but having a good camp. We, so we I, have a great I'll time. Count on that. <laughs> and 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 the thing is, is that you know, you and I, uh, you know, you said old school. I like to say. Uh, we are still in school because we're both still learning and we, we're anxious to learn and keep growing every day and getting better. And that's what that's what I think excites us about the game and and teaching the game as we do. So 
this was a real treat for our coaches. And John, uh, you are a special friend, and I thank you, brother, for doing this. This is Brendan. Fun. Keep keep passing the gospel on the basketball. You and Kevin and you guys do a great job. Thanks for having me on. Okay. All right, my friend. Thanks. Thank you. Look forward thank to you seeing so. you in a couple of weeks. Hey, Coaching You Live is coming up uh, this July 5 and 6 in Orlando and July 10 and 11 in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, this is Brendan Sir talking to you about uh, your summer to, as my friend John Gordon talks about, to invest in yourself, to develop yourself. I can't emphasize enough as a leader, as a coach, uh, that you have to continually work on that. Uh, Kevin Eastman describes this as your on-season, not your off-season. As you probably heard, Coaching You Live is a great experience for coaches at any level to invest in your career and your program and to learn from some of the best basketball minds in the world. We've been blessed to have some of the greatest coaches in the game work with us over the years on our faculty. Uh, This year, in Orlando alone, right now, we have a great lineup, including Billy Donovan, the former Florida Gator coach and the head coach at OKC, who in two years has done an amazing job. Uh, Mike White, who took over for Billy at Florida, who I think is one of the great young coaches in the game. Kurt Rambis has been an NBA head coach with the Lakers, Minnesota, the Knicks. Kurt is a guy that played in the league for a long time. He's been an assistant to Phil Jackson, and, you know, he's got real pedigree. And one of the things I love about Kurt is he is an excellent teacher on the sideline triangle. And I think it's one of those uh, things of basketball that I had to coach against. I can't emphasize enough to you some of the principles in the triangle, some of the best principles in basketball. Uh, Jawan Howard, who is a terrific player in the league, but has really developed into a rising star with the Miami Heat, I think we'll be able to come in and share with you some of the things they do with their players to develop them and also as part of his path as moving towards an NBA head coach. And Dan Craig is a, someone I've been a huge fan of for years. Dan uh, has been on the staff down there for years with Eric Spolstra. But Dan has done all the things that you need to do to keep moving ahead in a profession. And we always have people that ask us, how do I get ahead? How do I get ahead? Dan Craig t- will tell you how you get ahead. And it's frankly by doing the next basketball opportunity that presents itself. The thing I admire about him, they asked him to go up and coach Sioux Falls, South Dakota, their D-League team a year ago. He not only went up there, imagine leaving Miami for Sioux Falls, South Dakota in the wintertime, uh, and went up there and won the championship. Uh, terrific young coach, and I think someone that you'll really learn from. Kevin Eastman, uh, you know, my former partner, is one of the great teachers of the game, one of the great speakers in the game. Uh, you know, he has so much wealth of knowledge. His ability to give you a word picture of things that are important in coaching, how to develop culture, I think are outstanding. Uh, most importantly, his ability to teach through the use of bullet points, I think, is makes him a leader in our field. And I look forward always to sharing with you some ideas that I might have uh, of things that are innovative and new that I've seen. Uh, but that's going to be at Lake Highland Prep School, right in downtown Orlando, a beautiful campus. Uh, on Wednesday, July 5, Wednesday night, we start at 1 o'clock, Wednesday night at 6.30, uh, we're going to go inside to a beautiful theater, and we're going to have two speakers that evening, not on the court, but 
in a theater and I think you're going to really enjoy who they will be and one will be a surprise guest and I think that's going to be uh, really impactful for you uh, again uh, we're going to then go uh, the, on the 6th we go from 8.30 in the morning until 3 o'clock so we go 1 to 9 o'clock on the 5th 8.30 to 3 on the 6th terrific downtown Orlando we've got information on our website of hotels to stay at the following week Monday and Tuesday, the 10th and 11th, we'll be at Impact Basketball, where we've been the last three years. Uh, really a great facility where Joe Abunasar trains the, the best NBA players and also kids getting ready for the draft. It's a great basketball environment, and he's a, allowed us to take it over for two days each year in the middle of the uh, NBA Summer Pro League. And this year, no different than in the past. Uh, the speakers that we have out there are some of the best teachers in the game. So my, besides myself and Kevin, Joe Bunasar, who's the best basketball d- developmental coach in there is in the game, uh, will be teaming up with Dave Fisdale, who was Eric Spolster's assistant for years in Miami and also now the head coach of Memphis Grizzlies. Eric Spolstra, uh, who maybe did as good a coaching job with his talent as any coach in the league, and a guy that played for me in the past, Jerry Stackhouse, who took over this year to coach the D-League team in Toronto for the Raptors franchise and took them to a championship. So I'm so pleased with Stack's development as a coach, and I think he can really share some nuggets with our coaches. Uh, Edere Messina, who was with us a couple of years ago, uh, Edere is one of the best coaches in the world, flat out. Uh, internationally, he is the best, and... Uh, he coached the Italian national team last year, but he's been the associate head coach of the Spurs for the last several years. He is gonna. He is one of the great, great coaches in the world. His ideas and concepts he shares are above reproach. You just want to hear what he says. And Jeff Pestelik has been a friend of mine uh, since he's been in the NBA. And Jeff was with the Heat for years with the Knicks, uh, was with the Grizzlies, but now took over with Mike D'Antoni, he has put in the defense with the Rockets, and I don't want anyone to laugh about that because when you're shooting the ball as quick and as far as they are, they played outstanding defense. And the stats that he will show you about what they did defensively, Jeff Pestelik has always been a premier defensive coach, but he will show you through actual the drills that they do with the Rockets the best ways to teach team defense nowadays. So we're going to have a lot more coaches to name, uh, both in Orlando and in Vegas, but I encourage you to sign up now because our early bird pricing ends May 31. Uh, so re- make sure you register online at coachingyoulive.com uh, because I want you to save uh, if you know you're coming. Uh, please take advantage of that. Most importantly, we really look forward to to hearing from you, also seeing you in July. Continue to listen to our podcast. I think you really enjoy them.